Hello and welcome to Truth and Consequences, a podcast about trauma and its aftermath, where we talk about the difficult and often surprising challenges that affect us in the wake of trauma and other life-altering events. I'm your host, Miranda Pacchiana. I'm a writer and personal coach with a master's in social work and the creator of the online platform, The Second Wound. This is the first episode of the podcast, but I have to add an asterisk to that statement because the original first episode was recorded back in September of 2019 with pretty lousy audio, and so I recently re-recorded it with some additions and subtractions, and I'm releasing this new version in July of 2021. Though my good friend Susie DeYoung joined me for the original first episode, this time it's just me. As Susie and I talked about back in 2019, we live in Newtown, Connecticut. My husband and I moved here 28 years ago, and we live in the relatively rural section known as Sandy Hook. As you probably know already, Newtown was the site of the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting in December of 2012 that took the lives of 21st graders and six educators, including the school principal. Because we have been witnesses to, and in our own ways affected by the truly unfathomable tragedy here in our community, we have sadly learned a lot in its wake, and we're still learning to this day, as we love and support some of the people most affected by the day that we call 1214. The reverberations do not ever end, especially for those who were closely affected by the shooting, families of the victims, everyone who was in the school first responders, and so many others who had a role in the community at that time. At the same time, there is beauty and hope and inspiration to be found as well, and that's an important aspect of trauma's aftermath that I will also focus on in this podcast. As my friend Francine says in an interview in a later episode, Living with the loss of her son, Ben, who was killed at Sandy Hook School, is like going through life without arms or legs. It's incredibly difficult, and it can be done. I think about her words a lot when she said, you can still have joy. And I think it's safe to say that every one of us has lived through some kind of deeply distressing or disturbing experience, which is the basic definition of trauma. We don't have to have gone through a war zone or lived through a violent crime or a tragic accident to know what it is firsthand. Any experience that feels physically or emotionally threatening can be traumatic. It can leave us feeling stunned, overwhelmed, having trouble concentrating. We may go into fight, flight, freeze, or fawn modes. And longer-term symptoms can include dissociation, anxiety, anger, and a wide range of physical symptoms. To counteract the damaging effects of trauma, we need connections with others and the chance to be heard and cared for as we recount our stories, which my guests and I will do on this podcast. One of the aspects of trauma's aftermath that I talk about is the phenomenon of re-victimization, which is unfortunately common and something that a lot of us are probably not aware of. But it happens when a person who has been affected by a traumatic experience or victimized or hurt in some major way is then re-injured as a result. 
Some examples are victim blaming, ostracizing survivors of these traumas, rejection, being taken advantage of by others. Maybe the trauma is ignored, disbelieved, minimized. People are told to move on or stop talking about it. And all these other ways that survivors' voices are shut down. What's worse is when people in the aftermath of trauma are hurt by people and systems that should be there to help them. These responses often come from the victim's own loved ones, which can be shocking and extremely hurtful, and of course only adds to the pain of our original traumatic experiences. Revictimization is a subject I know a lot about, both through my work as a social worker and personal coach, and as a child sexual abuse survivor myself. A few years ago, I came up with the term the second wound to describe the pain and confusion felt by so many of us sexual abuse and assault survivors when we discover that our own loved ones or the people we thought of as our support system respond in ways that hurt us even more. They might not believe us, or they do, but they minimize what happened and the effects that it left on us. They might blame us in some way, get frustrated with us for not, quote, letting it go, instead of addressing what happened in order to process it in a healthy way, and perhaps work to protect other people from similar events. And if, despite this painful pushback, we continue to speak up on our own behalf, they might even start to label us as troublemakers. Even more outrageous, they often do this while failing to hold actual offenders and enablers accountable. This re-victimization happens in families, workplaces, religious organizations, universities. It can happen in any group, in fact, and I believe it is a systemic cultural problem as well. One of the most difficult aspects of re-victimization is that it's not finite. It doesn't have a beginning and an end the way the original trauma usually does. With the original trauma, whether it be a singular event like a sexual assault or a chronic situation like child abuse or domestic violence, there are ways we can work to heal over time, at least to some extent, though the scars never truly go away. But the pain of victim blaming and rejection tends to be ongoing and it is generally outside our control, even if we do everything that we can to try and affect it. I'm sorry to say that when you're dealing with a system that is hell-bent on denying and ignoring the truth, no amount of well-reasoned arguments or requests for compassion will make a true difference. And that's a hard truth to come to terms with. After I disclosed the truth of my abuse about 25 years ago, this became my story, and I will tell you a bit more about it in a minute. In each episode of Truth and Consequences, we are going to share information about the aftermath of trauma and work together to understand the ways we can support ourselves and our fellow humans and avoid making hurtful mistakes ourselves, but also to celebrate the growth and connection that can come out of addressing the challenges life presents us. So for my listeners, if you are experiencing the aftermath of trauma or re-victimization in any form, I hope this podcast will show you that you are not alone, you are not a troublemaker, there is support available to you, and you can still find peace and live a healthy, fulfilling life. I also want to add that I'm really not interested in vilifying people 
While there are certain people who I believe are irredeemable based on long histories of wrongdoing and even evil behaviors, humans are mostly complicated. And usually when we act badly, it comes out of our own pain and struggles. There are many reasons people respond inadequately to other people's pain, and often it is not intended to cause pain or problems. I've done it myself. I think that we all have made mistakes this way. So now I'd like to tell you some of my own story and how I came to learn about revictimization and went on to create a platform for anyone who struggles with this particular pain. It starts with a story about healing, grueling, at times almost unbearable revisiting of my own childhood trauma that was also intense in its ability to move me forward on my path to recovery. I was 25 years old. I'd been married for about a year, and I was in graduate school getting my degree in social work. I was also two years into working with a compassionate, insightful therapist whom I had gradually learned to trust and respect, the first therapist I'd ever felt truly safe with, in fact. We'd been doing really good work together, and I was feeling stronger. And one day, sort of out of the blue, I made a decision as I drove to my weekly session that I needed to tell my therapist something I had never shared with anyone, that I had always carried the memories of what had happened to me as a child over a period of several years. Even though I knew all about child sexual abuse and felt enormously sympathetic to survivors, and I was studying to become a social worker, I had not yet admitted to myself that what I had endured fell into the category of sexual abuse. And let me tell you, it definitely did. So on this day, I walked into my therapist's office, I sat down, and I just told her this thing. I stated the facts for her without a whole lot of emotion, though it felt like a big, important moment, and my heart was definitely beating faster than usual. My therapist thanked me for trusting her with this information, and I could see the empathy in her eyes. I remember saying to her, I'm not some quote-unquote victim, And she said, okay. And later on in our work, she explained to me that she understood that's where I was at that moment and how I needed to think about this. And so she just respected that and met me where I was. That very evening, right when I got home from my session, I told my husband about what I had told my therapist. I can still remember sitting in the old wing back chair we had bought together at a tag sale and sharing this lifelong buried truth. My husband looked appropriately sad and he wrapped his arms around me and with all this love in his voice, he told me that he was proud of me, which was about the best response I could have ever hoped for. After that day, I started to feel this huge sense of relief. I was actually excited to get at this wound that had been festering inside me for so long and finally start to heal it. I couldn't wait. I was in a hurry to keep going and I wanted to scrape out the infection that had been inside of me all my life and just be done with it after all this time. I wanted to finally stop carrying this pain. But my therapist gently but firmly warned me to take it slow 
which was really hard for me. And I think it was pretty soon after that, that I started to disclose to some of my friends and family members. And then suddenly, all the emotional fallout from my trauma just hit me at once. Facing the facts about what had happened to me, and that it was in fact sexual abuse had an enormous impact. It was near the beginning of the school year. In addition to taking classes, I was working at a field placement in an elementary school for kids with special needs. I developed severe social anxiety. I was terrified in class that the teacher would call on me. I was petrified to speak in meetings at work. I had trouble socializing on break in the lunchroom with my coworkers, like paralyzing trouble. And when they went out after work, which they did fairly often, and they generally invited me, I pretty much always came up with an excuse, which is really not like me. I definitely have my shy moments, but I am a pretty social person. And this was a big change in my feelings and my behaviors. I realize now that this was happening because I had taken the lid off of my deepest, darkest secret. And it had framed the way I had seen myself since I was only six or seven years old. The abuse had instilled in me a deep shame. And now these feelings had come rushing back with a greater intensity than ever before. I felt fundamentally unworthy, abnormal, unlovable. And I was losing the defenses I had used all those years. The denial and the repression were gone, and I felt exposed to the world as this person who had always been hiding a shameful secret. I started having flashbacks of the abuse, and the memories, which I had been able to compartmentalize before, now literally haunted my dreams. At the same time, my father was suffering from early-onset Alzheimer's, And my mother and I and the rest of the family were dealing with the pain of watching him slip away to this awful disease. I sank into a full-blown clinical depression. I was scared to go out in the world. I have vivid memories of the sweet little house that my husband and I lived in back then, a post and beam from the 1700s with two fireplaces, We would always light a fire on Sunday evenings, and the crackle and heat of the fire made the house feel so cozy. I remember week after week just sitting by the fire on Sunday nights and weeping, knowing that I had to go back out into the world the next day and feeling so awful about it and so scared. What else could I do but just keep putting one foot in front of the other and enduring the emotional torture I was living through? I continued to work with my therapist and talk about my thoughts and feelings with my husband, Adam, who was loving and supportive through every step and all the tears and sadness. I could not wait to be done with that field placement at the school because I felt like they only knew me as this scared, insecure person, which was probably true. As the academic year came to an end, I felt the relief of leaving it all behind me. On my last day of work at the school, I said goodbye to my coworkers and the students, and I got in my little red pickup truck, which was a hand-me-down from my father who couldn't drive anymore. I started up the truck, so excited to drive away for the last time that I backed into the car behind me, which belonged to one of the teachers. 
I had to drag myself back into the school to confess to the teacher who was not pleased with me and exchange insurance information with her. The incident did nothing good for my shame levels, and it felt a bit like a metaphor for my whole experience that year. But when school ended, I began to feel better. I was relieved to be finished with school for the year, and I took it easy during summer break. I rested, I exercised a lot, I gardened and spent time in nature. I talked to friends, hung out with my husband, and just recuperated from the grueling emotional work that I had been doing throughout that year. As summer was winding down, the school invited me back for their kindergarten graduation ceremony. It was a year-round school, and the kids finished up their grades in August. I had had a young client I treated through play therapy, and she was part of the graduating class, so I was happy to show up and cheer her on. When I walked into the school and saw everybody I had worked with that miserable year, I could tell they noticed right away that I was different. There were so many comments of, wow, what have you been doing? You look so incredible. They told me I seemed like a new person. And that's because I felt so much more at ease and at peace with myself. All of that time before, I had felt so small, scared, and miserable that whole year. It was acute versions of the feelings that had been chronic since I was a little girl. I was doing work on myself. I was healing. And while that year was only the first step in a lifelong process, It was a concentrated period of healing that came from being brave enough to look unflinchingly at my truth and begin to process its effects on me. I have gone on to watch other trauma survivors go through similar periods of intense pain, followed by the positive effects that come about through this kind of deep healing. I would go on to have other experiences and periods of sadness and grief that rocked me emotionally, but they also have contributed to my continued learning and emotional growth. Now, little did I know as I emerged from this year of healing that I was tackling only one portion, probably less than 50%, I'd say, of what I now see as my biggest challenges in life, at least to this point. So here's what happened in the ensuing few years. After certain members of my family acknowledged and validated the abuse, and even said the right things at times, I began to realize they were actually just brushing the whole mess under the rug. The more I spoke up about the abuse and on my own behalf, the worse their reactions felt. I had started the process with the innocent belief that my family would rally around me with compassion and even be proud of me for facing the past. I imagined we would examine what had gone wrong and work to heal from it together. Now I was being left out of family events and blamed for not letting it go. I was blindsided and confused. And so I started looking for resources that could help me understand what was happening to me and why my loved ones were responding this way. I looked for books or articles, and I just came up almost empty. I searched through psychology journals and research studies, but again and again, I could find nothing that explained or supported my experience. At first, I just felt defeated and discouraged. And then I decided, I guess I have to write about it myself. 
I started compiling my thoughts and experiences in the hopes of one day maybe writing a book on the topic. And I started a Facebook page dedicated to it, which I named The Second Wound, and I attached a secret support group. I made it my mission to examine the phenomenon of destructive responses to disclosures of sexual violence, abuse, and other forms of trauma. And I started to really get, as soon as I put this out there, a pretty big response from followers who told me how comforting and helpful they found my work because they were feeling just like I was, confused, alone, lost, already feeling hurt and lonely because of the experiences that they were working to heal from. The second wound offers the kind of understanding that I desperately searched for all of those years ago. Through messages and emails and the countless contributions of my online followers, I have learned far more about the subject than I could have ever understood firsthand. There's a line that I wrote when I started the second wound that I wanted to mention, and it's, the truth hurts, but it helps so much more. I think we can agree that the truth affects us whether we deal with it or not. And we are better off when we face it, as difficult and gut-wrenching and awful as that may be, so that we can begin to release the destructive grip that certain realities have on our lives. Just as it's true that most of the emotional damage we suffer happens between people and in relationships, it's also true that we heal through relationships as scary and tricky as it can be to navigate, especially when we have trust issues getting in our way. Another vital part of healing is community, feeling accepted and cared about, knowing that people have our backs. It's crucial to healing and living an emotionally full life, in my opinion. I have personally found support groups to be a valuable part of my healing. There's something that's just irreplaceable about seeing yourself reflected positively in the eyes of others. In fact, I distinctly remember that in my first support group two decades ago, which was for women with anxiety and depression and not specific to sexual abuse, I realized that even though they knew my secret, which still felt shameful and dark to me at the time, that it didn't change how they knew me. I was just Miranda, their friend who they liked and cared about, not the damaged goods I still felt like at times. And that realization marked a turning point in how I saw myself. And now I want to leave you with one last story. I told it in the original first episode, and it made me cry. So we'll see what happens. Here goes. I turned 50 two years ago this June, and we threw a big party in our backyard with loads of wonderful friends from near and far, but mostly near because we are fortunate to have a pretty spectacular circle of friends here in Newtown. We hired my favorite local bluegrass band, Lost Dog, and my husband Adam even built a little stage for them in the yard. I refer to myself as their biggest fan, and they surprised me that day by performing a song they'd written for me, which was really fun. My friend Elaine had generously helped me design and decorate the party, and she had set up a prayer flag craft so that each of my loved ones could write something they loved about me and string them up together which means so much to me. And of course, I still have it hanging up to this day. So I didn't know what was happening when the band went on a break and Elaine took the microphone and called me up to the stage. That was when she surprised me with an absolutely stunning homemade quilt that she and a bunch of my friends had secretly sewn for me. 
This is sort of a tradition Elaine has done for many other friends in our circle, but it truly did not occur to me that I would receive a friend quilt for my very own. My quilt, which she named Storm at Sea, is lined with cozy fleece and is full of beautiful patterns and colors that match my home. Standing there in front of my smiling friends, wrapped in the love and the warmth of this blanket made just for me, I knew that I was amazingly fortunate because I was overflowing with support and community. It just didn't come from the people I thought would celebrate my life with me on that day. I may always feel that missing piece in my life, but my life is full and rich and filled with softness and vibrant colors, and it is good. Thank you so much for listening and being part of this first episode of Truth and Consequences. There is support for you if you're hurting from the aftermath of trauma, and there is a bright tomorrow, especially if we continue to face our truth and learn how best to take care of ourselves and become stronger, better people in the process. On the next episode of Truth and Consequences, I interview my friend David Wheeler about the aftermath of losing his six-year-old son Benjamin in the Sandy Hook school shooting and what he has learned firsthand about the ripple effects of tragedy and trauma. David opened up and offered sensitive and intelligent insights about traumatic loss that I think you will find really moving, so I hope you'll tune in. If you'd like to peruse other episodes and see pictures and show notes, check out truth, the letter N, consequences.com and find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, where I post about upcoming episodes, past guests in the news, and issues around the aftermath of trauma. If you like the podcast and want to support it, you can give me a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and even easier, tell your friends. If you're interested in my personal coaching services, you can read about them on the coaching page at secondwound.com and contact me through the site. Thank you for listening and for all the support, everyone. And always remember, your truth matters. 